Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Uh, so today, as I mentioned earlier on, we are, we're in this last message in our emotions series, and it's really tough to talk about emotions without getting into the, the topic of despair, because it's something that I think all of us deal with on some level at least. And if you were to sit there and think about, okay, what, you know, what are moments of despair I've had in my life, I think everybody would be able to come up with some thoughts and ideas. And some of those moments of despair, they are, they're very brief. They're, they're short moments. Uh, yesterday, I was walking down my stairs to go down to my basement. You ever have one of those moments where you're walking on the step, and it, maybe it's carpet, and you slip just a little bit, and you, you literally think you're about to die? Like, that's where I was yesterday. I slipped, and I was like, oh, no. In my whole life, all 42 years flashed before my eyes in about 0.1 seconds, and I was terrified for that m- moment. And sometimes you slip, like, two steps, and you're like, yeah, I'm definitely dying. And so those are those brief moments of terror, of despair. Um, but then there's, those, there's real things. You know, you wake up every morning, you, you feel like you're waking up, and, and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It just feels like it's this darkness, this despair that just kind of, it's just there all the time. And the bottom line is despair stinks, no matter how, what the despair looks like. Uh, there's a couple years back, November 2019, uh, our family went down to Destin, Florida uh, to hang out with some, some of our friends down there. And as we're driving down, I'm looking at the Google Maps. And we're getting closer and closer. And as we're getting closer, I'm, I'm looking on this Google Maps and I'm realizing to get into Destin, Florida, there is a 3.6-mile bridge that we have to go over. And I'm telling you, I started to freak out. Like all hope was lost from my life and despair entered in. And I, as, I'm, as I'm freaking out about this, my wife is actually like, are you going to be able to do this? I'm like, no. We're, I, all I'm, I'm just afraid I'm going to drive off into the ocean and we're not going to be seen ever again. Because I don't mind water, but in a boat I'm okay. But I know that cars don't float. And so it's just this terror, this despair that was entering in my life. And the bridge also had this hill on it that I was looking on the satellite picture. I'm like, why is that there? That just looks scary. <laughs> like, this despair was... was eating me up from the time we hit Florida until we got there. And even my kids were laughing at me in the back of the car. I don't, I don't even care. I don't even care admitting it. I was a wuss that day, okay? Um, but despair happens in the weirdest moments. Sometimes it's short, it's brief. Sometimes it is debilitating. It can take, take over our emotions, our physical life. It can take over our spiritual life. Uh, and nobody enjoys it. But I think despair does not have to be the final word. That place where, where we're getting to, where we're, we're on the brink of losing hope and, and we don't know where else to turn. So we're going to take a look at a passage today that I think actually it shows us a really good example of somebody in total despair. But I think it also shows us that there is a lot of hope for us in those moments of despair. And so uh, this, this is coming from Psalm 88. And again, I think that the, the, the despair that we see in this guy, it can give us just that seed of hope that maybe we need to have for our moments of despair. And so I'm going to read through the whole thing. It's, it's kind of long, but I want you to see just how devastating this guy's despair is at, at this moment in his life. So it's Psalm 88, starting in verse 1. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. 
May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Now I'm going to be really upfront something about this sermon. As I was working through this message this week, I was, I was listening to one of the sermons. Uh, the, my, pa- my go-to pastor, and I've talked about him in the last month. He passed away about a month ago, Timothy Keller. I was listening to a sermon of his on Psalm 88. I'm just going to be honest. I realized as I was listening to him, I'm like, this dude is way smarter than me, and I need to say most of this stuff. And so plenty of the stuff that I'm going to talk about today, it comes right from, from his sermon. You can look it up on YouTube, just YouTube, Timothy Keller, Psalm 88. If you're ever wanting an even, a way better sermon than this, just listen to that one, okay? Um, but I think it's fair to, to give credit where credit is due, okay? Now, one thing I love about the Psalms is this. I love how... Most of them have a formula to them. And the formula looks a little bit like this. God, I hate my life. God, I'm really mad at you. Blah, 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 blah. God, you're pretty awesome. Like that's, it's this formula where there's, the psalmist is angry, is upset, is voicing that. And then at the end, all of a sudden like he kind of, it kind of dawns on him, okay, but God is still good. We're going to be okay. But this psalm is different. There's actually two psalms in the entire collection of of the 150 psalms, there's two of them that sort of end in darkness like this. Psalm 39, Psalm 88. And you think reading this, the last sentence that he writes, he says, darkness is my closest friend. That is bleak. And that's just, that's dark. But actually when you read it in the Hebrew, it's actually, it ends even a little bit darker because the very last word in the Hebrew text is actually the word for darkness. And he's saying, my, com- my closest companion is darkness. And so you've got this guy, his name is Heman the, te- the, the, the something. I don't even remember what it is. The Ezraite. Think. So it's Heman that has, it's not He-Man for you 80s cartoon lovers. It's not He-Man, it's Heman. Two totally different people, okay? But Heman the Ezraite is writing this, and he actually is a part of the sons of Korah. They wrote a good portion, actually, of, of these 150 psalms that we have in the Bible. What in the world is making him so dark and so bleak? And probably the next question is, why in the world is it in the Bible? But we're going to get through about four different things that I want us to make, make sure that we hit on when it comes to this psalm. The first one is this. Darkness can be something that lasts for a long time, even for a believing Christian. 
is a really good thing for us to talk through this a little bit, I think. Because Now, I should have been probably fair off the bat. This first point I'm going to talk through today is, it is depressing. There's going to be some, I'm going to try to bring despair to you right now. And so later on, we're going to bring you out of it, okay? That's where we're going. But he is being a total downer in this, in this psalm, throughout it, from beginning to end. And the question is, why would Heman, in this psalm, end it in such total darkness? Well, for one thing, he thinks he's facing death. I don't know if he actually is facing death, but he believes his life is coming to an end. He writes things like this, I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. And I read that, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, man, you can't talk to God like that. Like, there should be a rule about talking to God like this. But he just goes forward, and he gives all of his worst, his worst thoughts, his worst fears, all that stuff. And we don't like to admit it as Christians, but I think a lot of times, there's, there's plenty of times in all of, our, all of our walks with Jesus where we feel a lot like Psalm 88. The world can be a really, really dark place. And unfortunately, I don't think it's always been the church's uh, strong point of being able to talk through the issue of, yeah, sometimes the world is just a dark place for us and, and it's hard for us to get out of that. And I might sound a little bit evil when I say this, but I like to read stories or watch shows or watch movies where bad stuff happens at the end, where it doesn't end in a good story. I know that sounds twisted and dark, but what's so fun about the story always ending out in a good note? That's one thing I loved about the show 24. I don't want to, I don't want to, like, it's a 20-year-old show. You should go watch it because it's amazing. It's my favorite show. But I loved it because at the end of the first season, again, not to give anything away, but the guy's wife dies. And it's like, oh my goodness, this show is literally, it's making me want to throw things at the TV. I'm, I'm, my heart is wrenching right now. There's something about the real life stories that, that it, it takes us in. And I was reading about this one guy and his friend. They were talking about why, why are there not a ton of great Christian fiction out there for, for us to consume? And their conclusion was that we as Christians are not always true enough to, life, to real life. He said this, Christians feel that in order to be Christian, a composition has to work out right in the end and that there has to be a clear lesson or a perfectly good moral from God's point of view. I believe that all life does have a divine purpose, but that does not necessarily mean that we can see it or that it will ever become clear in our lifetimes. What he's saying is that not every story ends up in a clean, neat, tidy little story at the end. And sometimes I think in the Christian world, we, try to, we almost try to pretend like it does. And so I think that there's people who don't even feel comfortable walking into Christian churches because if we as Christians are out there in the world pretending like everything is, is all peaches, which, man, there, there were some peaches my wife bought this week. This is totally off subject at Farm and Fleet. They're the greatest things I've ever tasted in my entire life. So peaches can be amazing, all right? But it, life isn't all that great all the time. And sometimes, maybe as a church, we do people a disservice when they don't feel like they can walk into a church because it's, it's full of people who just have everything right. You know, I've been guilty of times in my life where in my prayer life, I want to go into prayer and I want to pray and, I, and, and say all the right things 
to where I feel like God is just going to do everything the way I want him to. If I'm struggling in despair, I, I, I'm not comfortable walking out of that prayer until like, okay, God, God's got this now because I made him. I made him get it. No, it doesn't work like that. It's like me with my wife thinking that she's going to tell me the things that she's struggling with and the problems that she's going through, and then I'm going to think that I can tell her how to fix it. I've learned after 20 plus years, you don't do that. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes she just needs to talk to me, and then we don't, we don't fix anything, but we just feel better because at least, hey, we, we talked about it with each other. Same thing with God. Sometimes I have to be content with going to God in prayer in my despair and trusting that I've given it to him He's got it. I don't have to feel content. I don't have to feel perfect. I don't have to feel like it's all going to be okay, but I've given it to God. And that's a lot of what Psalm 88 is here. It's a dude that's mad. He's just giving it to God. I love what, there's a historian named Martin Marty, which is the coolest thing to name your kid, I think. Martin Marty. I like that. But he says this, whoever devises from the scriptures a philosophy in which everything turns out right, has to begin by tearing out this page of the volume. You've got to tear out Psalm 88 if you think everything's just got to turn out right if you, believe, if you follow Jesus. Let's not, let's not live life like that's what we think. The Bible is not pushing a utopian lifestyle. We talk about it a lot too about having an eternal mindset. If we have an eternal mindset, yes, God is ultimately going to make things all great for us. We're going to have eternity with Jesus. But the Bible is not selling a utopian lifestyle here in this world. And if we tell ourselves that that is what it is, then we're fooling ourselves. The true story of the life of a real-life Christian, it actually looks a lot more like this. You can do everything right. You can say all the right prayers. You can say all the right things. You can love people all the right ways. You can do absolutely everything right. And still, sometimes, the darkness is not going to leave for a time. That feeling of despair is going to be there at times. That's just, that's how it, now, that's not, that's not anything that we like to hear, but that is the truth of what, where we're at. Now, I told you this, this first point was going to be a downer, and I'm pretty sure I've succeeded in making you feel a little bit more down right now. But we're going to get to the next part, because the next part is actually great. And here, here's one of the awesome things about this. We see in Psalm 88 that, yes, he is living a downer life, but there is actually mercy in the despair. How can there be mercy in the despair? It doesn't seem to make sense. See, when your expectations get aligned with reality, the reality that life is very dark, then you will be able to withstand that darkness better. There is a blessing in getting to that place where you are rooted in reality so that now I can understand life is, meant to, life is going to be hard, I can get through it. It's why I love sports for kids. I love for kids to experience losing once in a while. I love to see a kid crying after a game that they've lost. I know that sounds evil. I get it. But it's good. I, I remember the first two games uh, that I played in a basketball league, I think it was in fifth grade, I cried at the end of both games because we lost. And I was trying to pretend like, no, I'm just, I, got, I, I can't breathe, I'm tired. No, I was just mad because we lost. And my dad looked at me and he's like, kid, Everybody's going to think you're a sore loser. I am a sore loser, Dad. I hate losing. This stinks. But there is something. I, I, don't believe, I don't believe in just giving participation trophies. I believe it's good for kids to experience losing. Because losing helps you to deal with the bigger losses that are going. Like, don't we want kids to, to experience a loss that is, doesn't really mean a lot? 
and then later on in life when they experience true loss, at least that they've, they've had some practice, that's a good thing. Sometimes the despair in life, it is actually for our good. Yeah, real life is dark, and that darkness sometimes lasts way longer than we want it to. But there are some good truths that get uncovered, especially as we look here at Psalm 88. So the second thing I want to go through is this. There is no better place to learn about the grace of God than in times of darkness. Haman's darkness, it could, it, it could not have been completely made up. He might have been going over the top on how dark it was, but I think that his darkness, he was feeling something that was real. There was some real hurt, some real pain. But I want you to understand what, what, he, what, what was not happening here was God was not just going, Haman, you've got to get this figured out. He wasn't putting Haman in his place. He allowed Heman to talk. I don't do that with my kids. When my kids go through moments of despair, I'm usually like, suck it up. Get out of whatever it is that you're in right now. You're mad at your siblings. I don't care. Stop it. Like that's, I, I, don't, I don't do well with their despair. But God actually does well with our despair. We see it in the fact that he put Psalm 88 in the Bible. There's no reason God had to let Psalm 88 become part of the Bible. But it's there. And you listen to some of the stuff that Heman says. He says, your wrath lies heavily on me, talking to God. You have taken me from my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Now, this is something for married couples that either you did learn or you're going to learn it right now and it's gonna, you're going to be like, Kellen, thank you for that. Um, but you learn at some point, you you never use the words never and always with your spouse. You never say things like, you never clean up after yourself. You don't do that. Because they're going to say, two weeks ago, I totally cleaned up after myself. Stop it. You never say, you always make a mess in this room. No, I, I don't always. You're wrong. But that's exactly what Haman is doing with God in this situation. He is saying, you have always made my life awful from the time I was little. You have put me in the place where, like, I've been close to death this whole time. You've been awful to me. And see, when we're in despair, we tend to read everything through the lens of despair. This guy is reading all of his life through that lens of despair that he's looking through. And if you think about your own life, you, you know that that's kind of true. When I used to coach girls basketball and I'd come home after a night where we would lose, that whole night was despair. Everything that happened was despair. I hated everything about life. That's just the way it is. You, you get despair and everything is looked through that lens. Haman was disrespectful to God. He was saying things that nobody should say. Instead of just saying, I'm dying, he's like, it, I'm dying and it is your fault. That is a bold thing to say. Why would God keep this psalm in the word of God? I also talked about thir Psalm 39 also ended up in darkness. Actually, the, the way that Psalm 39 ends up is the guy is, is typically saying, turn your face from me before I die so that I can get some peace, God. That's dark. Why would God let this be in the Bible? And there's a, a commentator named Derek Kidner who writes some great commentary on, on the book of Psalms. This is what he says. The very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they're desperate. God is okay with desperate prayers. I know it for, for a fact because Jesus had a desperate prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Take this cup from me, God. 
Father, take it from me, but if not, I'm still going to do what you want me to do. If we keep going to God in our despair, even when we have some really honest anger, there is a really good chance that God is going to show us grace through that, but then he's also going to lead us into something even better. That's point number three here. There is no better place to learn to become a person of greatness than in times of darkness. Darkness can bring on greatness. We, you hear things like this all the time. Pain yields growth. If you're a runner, the only way you're going to become fast in a race is if you bust it during the workout during the week. You have to run really hard and, and train your body to the point that now you can run faster come race day. Same thing with going to the weight room. You have to lift weights and get those muscles to the point that it feels like they're going to break and tear. That is why my arms are small. Because I hate lifting weights. I hate everything that is about lifting weights. So I'm a puny little guy up here. But pain yields growth. We need to sometimes go through some pain. And with Heman, it is hard to believe when you're listening to him talk in Psalm 88, it's hard to believe that he is close to that place where he could be growing. But he's actually right on the cusp of it. And the reason is, is because even in that place of despair, he's still going to God. See, Satan, what he wants to do is he wants to get us in despair because he believes that despair is the one thing that is going to take us away from God more than anything else. He did it with the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job is this guy who's got everything, and Satan looks at his life, he sees he's got a wife, he's got children, he's got riches beyond anything else. And so he goes to God and says, if I can just take all these things from him, he is going to walk away from you. He is going to ignore you. So God's like, okay. And that happens. Everything's taken away from his life. And, and what's interesting is you actually see throughout the book of Job, Job does a lot of the same stuff that Heman does. He is praying prayers that are angry. He is praying prayers that doesn't sound good, but at the end of Job, God actually says that, Job, in all of this, you have honored me. How? He was angry. The reason is because he kept praying to God. There was a time in my life, I've mentioned it before, I think, where it was in college, like my freshman year of college, there was a, a short time where I was like, I totally don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if I believe in this Jesus thing. But in that time of, it was honestly despair, because I grew up as a pastor's kid, I, I was like, this is, this is my identity as being a follower of Jesus. I kept going to God in prayer saying, God, I, I need you to help me through this. I didn't go to the outside world and say, okay, how can the outside world tell me that Jesus is real? I kept going to God. In your moments of despair, if you continue to go to God, I'm telling you, there is a greatness on the other side of that. God wants to bring us to the place where we become like his son, Jesus. And if despair was something that Jesus had to go through, then why, why should it not be something that I have to go through? You see, when you're in despair and you still choose God, it does something. It turns you into a person who is not self-centered. It turns you into a person who is not about a transactional relationship with Jesus. One where it says, God, you do this for me and then I'm going to do this for you. No. When we continue to go to God in those moments of despair... We develop a relationship with God that's not up and down all the time. You ever been around some, a, a couple who the relationship, it's up and down all the time? These high school couples who get, to, get not divorced, get break up like 12 different times. And you're like, you need to stop. This is a little too up and down. I don't want to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. So if I can stick to God in my despair, 
growth happens. Out of that despair, you actually can become a person of more stability, of endurance, of strength, of greatness. One of my favorite books of all time is The Lord of the Rings. Absolutely love it. Uh, and there's a, a character in the, in the book that is, it, it, he is the most important, best, awesomest character in the book, and his name is Sam. Now, if you want to try to tell me, no, it's Frodo, somebody else, I will fight you for it. All right? Sam is the best character in the book. Frodo is the guy who has this really important ring where he puts it on and he, he becomes invisible. It's a ring of power. And he has to take it to a place called Mordor, throw it into a lake of fire. Sam is his buddy who tags along with him the whole time to just help him get there. And Sam goes through a lot of despair. And, and we get to the end of this, of this book and there's a, there's a place where he is literally at the point where he doesn't think he can go on anymore. It is complete despair. And this is what J.R. Tolkien writes uh, in this story about Sam. He says, But even as hope died in Sam, or seemed to die, it was turned to new strength. Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern, almost grim, as the will hardened in him, and he felt through all his limbs a thrill as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. There was a place in this story right here for Sam where it was either turn into despair and fold or let that despair harden him to the place where he turned into greatness. Now, I'm not saying that we can just choose to be great all by ourselves. It is something that Jesus brings out of us. But he wants to use despair in our lives to bring us to that place of greatness. Doesn't make sense always. But it's what he's trying to do. Jesus can and will turn your despair into something beautiful if you let him, if you stick to him. Jesus can and will make you into something great and beautiful if you allow him to refine you th through those fires of life. And I know that sounds cliche, and I know that there maybe there's some people in here that you're like, you're thinking, I don't, I don't know if I can keep on sticking to Jesus right now. I'm begging you, stick to Jesus. Because in the moment of despair, yes, it feels awful, but he wants to bring you through in grace. He wants to bring you through to, the, to becoming more like that greatness that we see in Jesus. And as we stick to him, he'll do it. But I want to get to the final part of th that we need to talk about with Psalm 88, and it's this. Darkness is more relative than we often realize. You see, Haman and his idea of darkness, it was very, very objective. He thought it was absolute. He thought he was in the worst absolute darkness possible. There was nothing relative about it, but that darkness wasn't going to last forever. He was wrong about it. And through his suffering, what happened is, you have to realize, this dude in his darkest hour was writing out a song. And that song wound up getting in our Bible, which over thousands of years now, Millions of people have read it and seen the light of God. So this guy who thought he was in absolute darkness, he was actually writing something that was going to bring the light of God to people. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty amazing. You know, sometimes I think you and I, we, we, are, we think that our darkness is really objective. It is absolute. But in truth, we don't know absolute darkness like we think we do. Heman did not know what absolute darkness was. I have never experienced absolute darkness. You, as dark as it could possibly be, have not experienced absolute darkness. There is only one throughout the history of mankind who has experienced total darkness, absolute darkness. His name is Jesus. 
says in Matthew 27, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This darkness that Jesus went through for you and me, it is unlike anything that you or I have gone through. It was absolute, absolute despair. But Jesus took on that darkness so that when you or I believe in him, we can have eternal life with him. And I love how Keller put it like this. He said, Jesus experienced darkness as his only friend so that in your darkness, you can know that Jesus is still your friend. That's powerful stuff. Because Jesus did not abandon us in his darkest hour, we can know that Jesus is never going to abandon us in our darkest hour. He's going to be there 100% for us every single time. I want to close with something here from a guy named Michael Wilcock. Here's what he says about this psalm. He says, this darkness can happen to a believer, this psalm says. It doesn't mean that you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who does not deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. This doesn't mean you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as the world lasts because only in the next world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why, but there are answers. There is a purpose, and eventually you will know it. No one has ever said that living for Jesus is not going to be a matter of faith. That is exactly what we are. We are people of faith. And there are going to be times where that, those moments of despair, they seem so deep. They seem so entrenched. And we're going to feel, I don't have the answer. I don't know why you're doing this, God. What is the purpose? What is the point to this? And the, the real hard truth, the, the thing that stinks, I think, is that you may not know why you were put through that darkness to experience that despair until we actually see Jesus face to face. Now, I don't think that that always gives us a whole lot of peace. But the question is, can you hang on to Jesus? Can you hang tight on to Jesus? Even in the moments where you don't have all of the answers. Can you say, you know what, God? It's despair, and that's what I'm feeling. But in the midst of that despair, I'm going to experience your grace, and I'm going to let you grow me to greatness the way that you want to grow me to greatness. I'm not going to let this despair do exactly what Satan wants it to do, which is tear me away from you. It is okay not to know it all right now. It is okay not to understand why the despair is there. But I think the, the word of God is pretty clear. If we hang tight with Jesus, if we cling to Jesus, especially when we still don't get it all, we are going to learn about his grace. We are going to learn to become more like this Jesus that we're trying to become like. I want to say this this morning. Your darkness is not forever. Your darkness is not absolute. And even better than that, Jesus took on absolute darkness so that he can be with you in your place of darkness, in your place of despair. We question God and we get angry at God, but the truth is, God was willing to go to a darkness that we, we never were, are going to have to go to because of our sin. So while we're sitting there blaming God and getting angry at God, let's remember that. He, he meets us in our darkness. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.